0: Hey, welcome to the podcast for The Kelly Cutreras Show, September the 11th. It's a Friday. Picture this. Your kid opens an email from their school, and it contains a link to porn. We'll speak to the mother of a 17-year-old girl in Peel who's trying to get to the bottom of how that actually happened to her child. And have you been putting off tying the knot just in case it doesn't work out? Well, a judge ordered a man to pay 50 grand a month for 10 years to his ex, even though they each had separate residences what you need to know about common law. But let's start with Ryan Bird, who is the spokesperson for the Toronto District School Board, the biggest school board in Canada. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for for joining us this morning. No problem, Kelly. I have a few questions, and I'm sure I'm not (laughs) the only one. Go for it. Uh, Funnily enough, um, school was pushed back this year. We know that. It was supposed to start September 8th, but it has been pushed back, and the government had said, you know, go ahead and have a staggered, Uh, approach to restarting the school year, if that's what you need. Um, We're getting news here that is slightly concerning from the TDSB. Um, It's that the elementary school um, virtual school will start not on Tuesday as uh, originally scheduled, but on Thursday. Can you tell us about the holdup and and why we have to uh, wait yet another two days?
1: Yeah, so our virtual school uh, has at last count at least 66,000 students as part of it. And that is bigger than most school boards in Ontario. I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it would be the sixth largest board in all of Ontario if it was treated as a board by itself. And wow. so we've had about two weeks to essentially timetable and staff that. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, I to be honest, I work here and I, I can't even imagine it. Uh, it is a very complex process. And so as we were getting closer to the start of school, I think staff said, "Look, we, we need an extra couple of days to get this done. But we have to, um, you know, it's, it's. We may have the same roughly number of students attending the TDSB, but when you shift 66,000 to them online, we have to then reallocate teachers that are in classrooms in bricks and mortar schools right now um, to virtual schools, and we have to finish that process. And it's just taking a little bit of extra time. So what we've said is instead of starting on Tuesday." Uh, we're going to shift that to uh, Thursday the 17th.
0: Okay, let's get specific about this. The virtual schools, will uh, teachers be in an actual school setting for their virtual school uh, room that will be beamed out, or how's that going to work?
1: So it's going to look different for different teachers. So, for example, if you have a teacher that, for whatever reason, um, cannot be in a bricks-and-mortar school for some sort of accommodation, whether it be medical reasons or caring for an elderly family member or what have you, then they can work from home. Others, there will be areas where they may be able to work from a school or may be able to work from home. That's being worked out right now.
0: Okay. Now, I understand that there's four virtual elementary schools. Why are there four? Shouldn't there just be one? I don't understand the reason uh, that you would need more than
1: one. I think it just manages it a little bit better. So in the TDSB, we have what we call four learning centers that essentially divides the board up into four different areas. So there, it's not just one massive section. It's, it's divided better for oversight and that kind of thing. So our virtual schools will have superintendents. They will have principals. They will have vice principals. So we're trying to staff them like a regular school, albeit a larger uh, regular school.
0: Okay, well, that would mean... It, wouldn't that mean that you'd need more to hire more principals and vice principals? Like, is that going to cost the CDSB more?
1: Well, so we have principals. Yeah, so we did receive funding from the Ministry of Education for the administration of virtual schools. So we do have some of that money, um, but we needed to staff it properly. So it, just like if a parent had a concern right now, you know, outside of a pandemic, You'd go to the teacher, and then you'd go to the principal, and then you'd go to the superintendent. Well, we need that same structure in the virtual school. So we need to have principals. We need to have superintendents um, to answer questions, to address any concerns, and that kind of thing.
0: Was this something that you learned based on what happened during lockdown?
1: Uh, no, not necessarily. while well, we did learn a lot of lessons from that. Uh, the virtual school is different than the remote learning that we did during the, the lockdown period. Where I think the the virtual learning or remote learning that we did then was varied from class to class. It was everyone doing the best that they possibly could given some very difficult circumstances. Now, I think that got better throughout the year, um, but we had to flip a switch on that fairly quickly, so it wasn't exactly what we had anticipated. Now, this virtual school is going to replicate that typical classroom experience as best as it can. So there will be live online learning in the morning. There will be live online learning in the afternoon as they try to really replicate that as best they can.
0: All right. And, you know, I understand that some of the uh, kids won't know their teachers, like it, if they're taking a virtual schooling, that these teachers might be teachers they're not familiar with. Is is there... Um is there kind of like an advantage to virtual learning you could actually get to know that teacher a little better because you have like one-on-one access i'm guessing at some point in the day
1: well yeah they they will because the classrooms are not that much larger than a a physical in-person classroom we wanted to keep them small so that we could still try to you know for lack of a better term that sense of community inside of a classroom that in-person kids would be going to we're trying to rebuild that in the virtual world. So you'll still be able to get those relationships, albeit, look, it's, it's going to be different. Um, but we're trying to be able to kind of build those relationships still, even in a virtual world, with teachers and students. And they'll be available to answer questions and that kind of thing, just like they would if they were, you know, sitting at the desk at the front of the classroom.
0: Okay. I'm hearing also that uh, elementary school class sizes at the TDSB when your kids go back to school, they may contain 30 or more kids. Is that true? Can you confirm or deny that? And what are you doing about that class size?
1: Yeah, so what we're saying is they're targeted caps and they vary. So I think we've talked about this before, but we have a number of schools that are in areas identified by Toronto Public Health being at higher risk for COVID. Uh, So those classes have been have targeted caps of uh, 15 in kindergarten, and I believe it's 20 for grades one through eight. Um, so those are those priority schools as deemed by uh, Toronto Public Health, and we have some other ones that uses TPH data and our own data for extra supports. The rest of the schools have higher targeted caps, and we're saying target higher targeted caps uh, because we are staffing according to those numbers. But the difficulty is is that. So let's say we started that staffing process based on the numbers we had a week and a half ago. The numbers are already changing. We have people going to schools uh, saying, well, now I want to go virtual or now I want to go in person. And we know that that's going to happen next week as well. Uh, So the numbers have already changed since we started staffing. So what we're saying is, while you may have had a class that had a targeted cap of, say, 27, if two more kids come into the school uh, and in that, instead of having two new classes of like, you know, 14 and 15, you'd have a class of 29 potentially. Right. Um,
0: And Ryan, I get that. But, you know, um, when we we were talking about this a little bit earlier on, and I I actually wanted to reach out to you and I didn't. It was about the fact that um, They're combining some classes within the TDSB, you know, uh, like a grade four or five split, because there were not as many kids in the class and teachers are always, and parents are concerned about class sizes. And the reason why is the funding is based on the number of kids in a class. Is there any way that the province could have suspended that type of funding during COVID and said, actually, you know, that funding formula that we use? Uh, yeah. In order to, to, to fund the board, we're going to put a, a pause on that so that you guys could actually hire more teachers, keep the classroom small. Like does all of this kind of I know I'm putting you on the spot. I apologize. Yeah. But does all of this lean on ultimately the government's shoulders that we've got a problem with class sizes and, you know, in funding?
1: Well, we said from the beginning in, in our initial plans that we released over the summer, we said if we wanted classes of 15 everywhere, it's right. going to cost two hundred and fifty million bucks, or just shy of that. Obviously that's a, a substantial number, and that's just for one school board. Uh, so we had said that out loud for a number of uh, a number of weeks over the summer, um, and that wasn't doable. Uh, the ministry did provide some additional funding, which we took, and then they allowed us to use some of our reserves, which I think we've used about twenty-nine and a half million dollars out of our own reserves to lower class sizes across the board. So in the end, it comes down to money and the availability of teachers and we didn't have we didn't have enough money to be able to hire that many teachers to lower the class sizes significantly yeah
0: so what i'm hearing and and i I I i'm just saying from what i can surmise from that is teachers are super expensive to hire and we just can't afford to do it so if there's a real problem with class sizes at the end of the day it could be a problem with the fact that uh, you know teachers are expensive okay that said somebody's going to write me hate mail I'm not saying they're not worth it. I'm just saying that could be the reality of the funding. Um, I have hardly any time left with you. I appreciate that you've made time for me today, Ryan. Some teachers won't know until Monday if they're teaching online uh, or in person or even what grade they're teaching. I'm guessing that, I mean, that sounds crazy off the hop. But when you, there's no, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're not going to put a kindergarten teacher in front of a grade eight class.
1: No, no, it, it goes to qualifications. And I can just say that I know nobody likes that situation. I, I know nobody wants to tell a teacher the day before school and goes, oh, by the way, you're going here and you're teaching this class. Nobody wants that. But we're taking a staffing process that usually takes months and we've jammed it into two weeks. And, and quite frankly, uh, there, there's we just don't have the luxury of being able to tell people well in advance of that. We don't like it. It shouldn't be this way, but this is the position that we're in. So we're trying to get that information out as soon as we can. A lot of them, if not most of them, should have it by today, but there will be some that are getting them over the weekend and the beginning of next week, unfortunately, just given the time crunch.
0: All right. Well, Ryan, I, I want to thank you for uh, clarifying some things for us today. It's it's not an easy job figuring out schedules at the, at the best of times. You guys are up against a, a wall here, and let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope everything works out.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to explain it.
0: Hey, thanks, Ryan. Have a great day. That is Ryan Bird from the Toronto District School Board. All right. Um, cue the angry teacher emails from me. Well, at the end of the day, though, isn't that it? People take numerous precautions uh, to make sure that their kids are safe online and don't view anything they're not ready for, uh, including pornography right I mean you think about it uh, you always have to have almost uh, like eyes in the back of your head to make sure your kids are secure and safe online imagine your kid innocently opening up a link to uh, it's a it's in her school email that was provided from her school and the link actually being to um, a pornographic video Colleen Schultz is on the line right now Colleen that's pretty much the story in your household. Um this is your 17-year-old daughter. Um give us just the rundown on exactly w- how your daughter was sent porn. You might not know how she was sent porn, but what happened?
2: Um we honestly we have no idea how it got sent to us, how the link was sent to us. Um even the school board and the school aren't even sure quite as of yet as to what happened. Um but my daughter is switching between schools um and she went to go register for her school. Uh, We called the school um, and asked them to provide us the links so that we could get her all registered. Uh, Within 10 minutes, we received the links, um, and we didn't open them right away because we were busy over the weekend. Well, we opened them yesterday, and sure enough, it uh, took my daughter to a pornographic website. Um, That was a pretty graphic video. So um, we're not quite sure what happened or, or why this happened or how even. I mean, we understand hackers are out there, but how does the school board or something allow this to to get through their firewalls and and be sent out to students?
0: Right. And this is a a school in the Peel region? Correct. That is correct. Yes. Okay. So when this happened, and I have to say, you sent us a screenshot just to kind of give us an idea of the pornography. And it was incredibly disturbing to me uh, to see what looked like an older man with a younger girl. I mean, that to me is... I can't even imagine being a mother and knowing that your 17 year old daughter saw that. Um, when she opened the email, were you were you with her when she opened the email, or did she come down and react about the email to you?
2: I actually wasn't home. She actually called me and kind of freaked out. She's mom, they sent me porn, and I'm like, what do you mean they sent you porn? and she ended up sending me the messages and she actually had made a video of her opening the actual link from her email and getting into it Um, to prove to me that yes this is where it came from. Um, So Mm. we both immediately called the school board and the school to make them aware of the situation Um, and I have yet to receive an apology from the school or the school board itself. Um, I haven't heard anything myself as the parent from any of any everybody from the school board or her school, um, my daughter received a phone call last night from her principal apologizing to her personally. But uh, I mean, I'd like to personally speak to somebody in regards to this as well, and nobody Sorry, seems did, to want to. the principal
0: called your seventeen year old to apologize, but didn't then say, "Can I talk to mom or dad?"
2: Correct. They didn't even ask if I was around or anything.
0: Well, that's unusual. Um, I- so you, did, when you talked to the school, did you, did you talk to basically an answering machine? Because I know it's apparently very hard to get through to school uh, boards right now. Uh,
2: we, when I called the school, school board originally, um, they sent me uh, to somebody. Obviously, they didn't answer. I did leave a message. I also sent mm-hmm. an email to uh, my daughter's guidance counselor at her school, as well as we called the school. And when the school even opened the link themselves, had and while my daughter was on the phone, had agreed that yes, porn was even coming up for um, for them on their end as well. So,
0: okay, so let's move on to uh, the social media post. You posted something out to social media just to warn other parents, correct?
2: Yes, I did.
0: And what have we heard back from other parents? Have they also uh, received a similar link?
2: Um, I haven't heard that anybody else has received the link as of yet. Um, Nobody has said anything about regards to getting it as well. Um, so I'm not sure if it did get out to other parents or any other kids, and I'm hoping it didn't, um, and that maybe this was just a, you know a one-time thing, but um, I- I'm not sure. I mean, it was a link that was directly coming from um, the school to um, my child and my email as well, but... Um, You know, so who knows if that link was directed to any other kids or any other parents as well, right?
0: Wait a minute. So you got the link as well? Yes, uh, they they sent it to me
2: as well. When I tried to pull it up, though, um, from my phone after we had called the school, it wasn't showing anymore. So I think by that time they had it taken down already.
0: Okay. Um, we should note that uh, in in this thread that you kind of put out on social media, you said, careful, PAS North families, my child was sent registration forms and they sent us porn instead. Uh, Peel District School Board responded the schools aware and currently working on the board security and I.T. department to investigate and address this issue. Um, Later, they said uh, that the school is in the process of communicating directly with families which leads me to believe more than just you guys receive the link. And we take matters like this very seriously and are currently investigating to ensure this does not happen again. So is your concern at this point not only for your daughter and her well-being, but also for, um, you know, other parents that uh, are going to be dealing with kids, learning virtually, you know, getting emails on a regular basis from the school board and the ability for people to, it seems like somebody probably hacked in, to hack into a school board site.
2: Absolutely, I I mean, it is quite easy for hackers to get out there and put themselves into a situation um, where they can do the sort of stuff to people. I I mean, uh, how do you know that, you know, they're not gonna be in the middle of a video and a teacher pulls up a link and, and, you know, it's something that they shouldn't be seeing. Or, you know, even how do you know that these hackers aren't gonna get into the school system and get all our children's information for that matter? If it's that easy to get in and be able to do that to a student just through an email, how easy is it going to be to get into anything else, right?
0: And what are you hoping to hear from the school board, just to put your mind at ease as your daughter gets ready to go to this new school?
2: Um, Well, I would like to, first off, have an apology would be wonderful. Um, But my main concern is just to, you know, like, how does this happen? How did this come about with all the firewalls and stuff at the schools You know that they have since it was sent from a school computer how did this not get caught before it was sent out you know how can this be avoided in the future you know and what is the outcome of this whole situation because they're still not even sure who or how it happened themselves
0: well uh, Catherine McDonald is working on getting more info on this story and we'll be updating it on global news hopefully Uh, she finds out some information that will be comforting to you and to other parents that are hearing about this story. But, Colleen, I really hope at the very least you get your apology. I mean, that is incredibly disturbing that a 17-year-old opens a link from her school email and sees uh, porn of that nature. That's just, it's, it's beyond words.
2: I have no idea what to say anymore now. You know, it's hard to trust what's going on in this world, right?
0: It's uh yeah it's it's pretty different. Colleen I want to thank you for your time and and uh, and good luck with the school board.
2: Thank you so much. you have a great day.
0: you as well Colleen Schultz her daughter 17 year old opens up a link from her uh, school in the Peel region and finds porn and we will be updated on global news This is an interesting story that caught my eye yesterday and I thought immediately we we have to get a lawyer on to discuss this. It's a story about a wealthy businessman. He is going to have to pay more than 50,000 a month in spousal support for 10 years to a woman he had a long term relationship with, even though they kept separate homes and had no children together. That was a ruling from Ontario's top court under Ontario law. An unmarried couple are considered common law spouses if they live together. Right. We know this. But and that has to be continuously for about three years. So this is such an unusual case. Uh, we'd like to welcome to the show Laura Paris, associate lawyer at Schulman and Partners. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you give us some background on how the judge um, reached this conclusion that this man would have to pay more than $50,000 a month in spousal support?
3: yeah absolutely. so um what's really interesting is that people believe um, when they're when they're kind of looking at the definition of what, what common law means uh, is that they have to be physically living together for for a period of of, of three years or more um, physical uh, uh, sharing physical residence is actually not um, a requirement to be considered common law and this is something that that isn't new or uh, specific to to this current case. this is something that's been established um in case law um, years ago um so I think that that what's what's most shocking about this case is that a lot of is, is due to the fact that a lot of people have this misconception that you have to share share a physical residence um, in order to be considered a common law um, when. In making this decision, um, the judge looks at different factors in in terms of deciding whether or not someone has reached the threshold of a spouse. Shelter is one of the factors um, that you consider, so whether or not you're living together. In this specific case, um, they weren't living together um, every day, but they did have periods of intermittently living together. So they would uh, share summers at at the cottage in Muskoka. They would spend weekends um, at a condo in Florida. Um, So while they maintained separate residences, uh, throughout For the majority of the year, they were sharing residences um, uh, here and there. Um, also, in terms of how you present yourself to society. So, do you present yourself as a couple? Um, in this case, he had bought her a 7.5-carat ring. Uh, he proposed to her on several occasions. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, the only reason they never actually got married was because they couldn't agree to terms of a prenup. So, um, you know, essentially what it comes down to is just because, you In, um, you know, the husband's or or sorry, in the the male's mind that he didn't want to call it a relationship. Uh, The reality was that it it was a relationship and it did amount to a common law relationship. And therefore, um, she was able to make claims under the Family Law Act.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting ruling. I mean, most people's minds, I think, because we are so used to the idea of cohabitation, meaning. Uh, You're living together in the same residence. These two even kept separate bank accounts. They never owned common property. So I I would imagine it's either her cottage or his cottage. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's about time spent together. Is that correct? And and the perception of uh, other people around you in your social circles?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, there's there's different there's different times of, types of factors that are considered. So, living arrangements are considered. Um, you know, kind of uh, what what your physical relationship is. Uh, what services did you did you um, complete for each other during the relationship? So, like in this case, uh, she quit her job to be able to mm-hmm. kind of run errands for him and 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 I guess you know be at his beck and call to a certain extent. So, you know, these this created kind of a depend an interdependency between the two of them, which is something that is you know akin to a marriage-like or spousal relationship. And these are the types of things that are considered. It's not just simply based on shared physical residence.
0: OK, so are we going to see more cases like this in the future, do you think? And and what's the takeaway from this ruling?
3: Well, I think that, again, this isn't this case isn't isn't completely unusual. I think that it's just, um, you know, to the to common knowledge, it's, it's a bit shocking to hear because people, again, they they they. Um, associate cohabitation with physically living physically living together, um, so in terms of how it's practically going to um, what the practical implications are going to be i mean i think most 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 practicing family lawyers were aware that it's possible to um, to be considered a spouse when you're when you 're not living together uh, consecutively, but what I think it will do in terms of the you know in terms of the public um, and that a lot of people perhaps are now going to start considering whether or not they have family law claims. And, and may start, it may start opening their eyes to the fact that um, they may be in a situation where they thought that they, they didn't have a claim. But now now maybe, maybe this, is, this is an opportunity for them to make a claim.
0: Right. I want to thank you for your time. It's been really informative because I, I, I know that lawyers would be well versed on, on this topic. But for the average person that's getting pretty serious uh, with someone they've been dating for a while, it's a little heads up.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what what cases like this uh, you know need to show us is that um you know when you are entering into kind of a relationship of any sort of permanence, um it makes sense to talk to to go and talk to a lawyer and make sure that you are are protecting yourself in terms of your rights and obligations and that you do have all the information that you need um to make informed decisions about these relationships that you're that you're entering into and how you're going to approach these relationships.
0: Oh, but Laura that is so unromantic. <laughs> It is, but but you you have to you know you have to be practical.
3: I mean, you know, you you can be in love, but you you have to be practical about it.
0: You know, Chris, my producer just asked me a question, and he's married, so I don't know where he's getting this question from. But <laughs> do you need a prenup with your girlfriend? Then
3: I mean, you could. It would be it would be considered a cohabitation agreement. But again, it, it all depends, right? And that's that's a thing when it comes to common law relationships. It's so fact specific. Like when you're entering into a, a marriage, it's very, it's a lot more cut and dry. Where you know that you know you're 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 equalizing your assets. Things are going to go more or less fifty fifty. When it's common law, things are up in the air. So I actually, in, in my professional oh. opinion, I would say that it's more, um, you know, you're you're you should actually go talk to a lawyer um, if you're in entering into a common law relationship more than you need to when you're entering into a marriage.
0: Wow. And that's funny because most people don't enter into uh, a marriage because, you know, somewhere in the back of the mind, maybe they've been divorced or something and they think, I, I don't want to get into that again. Like, I-, I-, I think it's safer for me to, you know, not say I do and just live with and you lo- or, or you know, we each keep our own place and maybe we'll get along better. I'll see you exactly at yours and we'll see
3: yeah, that's the case. That's this case here. This is this is an individual who was there. These are both second uh, second relationships for these people that they were both in in marriages prior. And I've in my view, in my reading of this case, I think that it was clear that this guy was trying to he was trying to protect himself. But Because Mm -hmm. they couldn't agree to the terms of this prenup, um, he thought in his mind, well, you know, it's not a real relationship because I didn't marry her, but that's not, you know, that's not. And
0: that wouldn't be taken into account, Laura. I mean, that seems like something that the judge should should take into account.
3: I mean, I think I think it certainly it would have been taken into account, but it's you're you're balancing it against other factors, and that's and that's what it comes down to. And this is where I say, you know, when it comes to common law relationships, everything's so up in the air; it's all discretionary. Um, but when you're in a marriage, it's like, okay, well, now you're. You're married there's no question as to whether or not you're a spouse and this is the legislation that applies to you when it's common law it's, it's it's not that simple which is again why 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 i say you know when you're in common law relationships it's probably even more important that you enter into that you speak to a lawyer and enter into these agreements
0: well laura i think that you know one group that will be happy here is lawyers your business is going to keep coming along. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Expect a call from a few people that were listening in. Laura Paris, Associate Lawyer at Schulman and Partners. Thank you so much for your time and have a great Thanks weekend. Thanks for having me. You too. Chris, uh, I don't think you have to get a prenup with your girlfriend. I think you're all good. All right. Um, boy, what's Christina going to say? Well, that's it for another podcast. Don't forget to join us live from 9 a.m. till noon, Monday through Friday, on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.